welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 77. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's Q&A episode, we just want to remind you that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, And if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com and that link you can find in the show notes below or all of our Instagram bios too. So without further ado, let's get cracking. So Jack, first question of the day, what are some of your favorite go-to snacks during a cutting season? And you might have to rack your brain for this one because it's, you know, it's been a, it's been a while since you've uh, been through a cutting season. <laughs> yeah, so it's been over two years now, so definitely a while ago. And even since then, I've only done one mini cut, which lasted three weeks. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I barely changed my nutrition during that period. I just lowered food quantities. Yeah, so I will definitely be experiencing again during a more prolonged mini cut in probably August. And then of course my comp prep from October. So what I usually did is the thing with me and Tierra as well is that we, we kind of just stick to the basics, I think. Mm-hmm. And we, we just choose very high volume food. So I wouldn't even call it snacks really. It's just changing our food selection. So yeah, neither of us are actually snackers. We've generally always just had four meals per mm. day. You know, the only thing I th- can think that Tierra more than me snacks on is the iced coffees. Yeah, that's a great one, you know, so and it's so that your heart rate doesn't go too high during the day, right? I generally choose decaffeinated coffee, but literally just a few scoops of decaf coffee, some sweetener, a little bit of ice and a little bit of water. Cinnamon is good as well. Oh, cinnamon's nice too. And to be honest, I don't even count the calories in that because I don't think the reason why you're not getting lean enough is because you had a little bit of cinnamon and a bit of instant decaf coffee. But yeah, literally blend that up in a Nutribullet or better yet, a food processor. And it turns into this like incredible, just wafted up decaf iced coffee Mm. thing. Incredible only if you're in prep though. Yeah. Boy. Oh, but especially on a hot summer's day, man, just like to get you through to that next meal and like cool you down to decaf iced coffees, the way to go. So that's one of my number ones. <laughs> but other than that, I, I just do it. When I got to the extent of dieting where I was quite hungry, I would just volumize my meals with like mainly potato and pumpkin. I, by that point, I, I didn't barely ate any rice in that prep. I, and I cut out pasta probably within like 10 to 12 weeks out Mm -hmm. because it just wasn't voluminous enough. And yeah, that would provide the foundation for my carbohydrates for my evening meal. I would have like nice cream for dessert as well, which is I'm sure if you don't know what nice cream is, then you must be a new listener. So (laughs) it's basically just blended up frozen fruit with ice, tiny bit of water or milk, protein powder, of course, and yeah, it's really voluminous, especially if you use a bl- uh, food processor again. Oh, and it's insane because the thing is, I've been eating nice cream, you know, for many, many, many years, right? And 
Jack and I knew each other for over two years before we actually went through a comp prep. And I was eating ice cream that whole time. And Jack was always like, man, how can you eat this stuff like all the time, right? Because I would make ice cream basically every single day in my food processor just whipped up. And you, you'd you had something similar before, right? Like you'd blend yeah. berries and well, stuff. Well, I think it was all the same ingredient. So yeah. I think it is nice. But you'd have a much smaller volume, right? <laughs> Did you ever put in a food processor or was it just one of those little Nutribullets? It was a big Nutribullet, yeah. Okay, big Nutribullet. But yeah, I was eating this all the time and I'm like, you just wait, man. I can't wait till the day that, you know, you're actually hungry enough that during the winter time or the cold months, you're actually bundling up just so that you can have some more voluminous ice cream. And what do you know? You know, 2018 comp prep, right? Like during those final few weeks when you were really getting after that ice cream, I remember just in the kitchen, you know, after you'd have your dinner, like you would, it, it's almost like you were me. Like you would put on two pairs of pants, some socks, two sweaters, a toque, and then you'd make this ice cream and eat it with a little spoon. And I'm like, oh wow i've been waiting for this for so many years (laughs) except mine was actually more fruit than ice compared to yours oh yeah you would like you know i'd put in like 150 grams of strawberries and 500 grams of ice you would put in what like would you use like 500 grams of raspberries or something like yeah it would equal it was like half a packet of raspberries half a packet of blueberries and then probably like 200 grams of banana or something. Oh, you lucky bug. And mango as well. Oh, rub it in, man. You get way more carbs than me. 150 grams of strawberries is like six grams of carbs. Yeah. That's something that I'll change this prep is have more strawberries. Yep. Yeah, strawberries are incredible. But that's the thing. It was just nuts seeing you all. That's when you know you're deep in a diet, you know, when you're willing to eat really freaking cold voluminous food on a cold day but Mm. like bundle up in a bunch of layers that's when you know you're there (laughs) but at least this like this coming season i'm sure we'll get on well i'm always on the ice cream train but you might hop back on too but like luckily we'll be prepping through summer so we won't be going through really really the cold season it's so much nicer to have a big cold ice cream on a hot day compared to a cold day that's for sure Mm. because it just freezes your bones i swear (laughs) yeah but other than that as well the only other thing would be just normal high volume foods like beans i would have like a tin of beans every night i would have probably literally a kilo salad every night Mm -hmm. i used to make and i did this quite a while after my prep as well when i was still hungry but i would just make huge amount of salad and put it in this massive these two massive containers and how that would last for a week Mm -hmm. and it would be yeah and range anywhere from like 600 grams to a kilo each night boy i remember that salad prep (laughs) (laughs) or like what about those mat you would make an entire tray right in the oven and you'd spread out a bunch of thinly sliced potatoes put like beans a little bit of cheese chicken on there right some salsa i've got so many photos of jack just like eating off this massive oven tray (laughs) yeah that was good that had to disappear though like probably quite a few weeks out yeah because it was yeah, too high calorie. Mm-hmm. And did you ever get on the konjac noodles? Oh yeah, I did. So yeah, when because for me everything's proportionate. So even like low calories for me is going to be diff like probably higher than other people. But because mm-hmm. it's quite uh, low compared to my off season, it's I personally I think it's all um, comparable mm-hmm. if that makes sense. But 
yeah, I got on the Konjac noodles, which are basically zero calorie mm-hmm. noodles, but they don't, the texture is pretty bad. The taste is pretty bad. But when, when you just want to have something in your stomach, like it's quite good. Yeah, it's a, you just want to chew on something, right? Like, I think for me, definitely air popped popcorn is one of my absolute go-tos during prep because I, I lived off that stuff for months, you know? I'd have like my strawberry ice cream and like like maybe 20 grams of popcorn kernels, which pops up into a really, really large volume. So air pop popcorn is amazing. Just like low calorie fruits, you know, like, like whole oranges and grapefruits. They are awesome. I I absolutely love those. Interestingly enough, you and I have never gotten onto like rice cakes or corn thins, but I know a Mm. lot of people eat rice cakes and corn thins because it does look voluminous. You can spread out a bunch on your plate and put like you know, like a little bit of tomato on one or some whatever you want to put on it, like Vegemite. I always want to sit down to a big meal and Mm. sitting down to a plate of corn thins just doesn't cut it for me. Yeah, (laughs) Never say never. You never know. (laughs) This next season, we're going to get as lean as we've ever been in our lives. So who knows? We might sit down to a plate of corn thins. (laughs) Mm. You never know. But yeah, I guess those are the things. But I think number one is really just those low calorie fruits and vegetables, high volume carbs, things like popcorn and you know like thinly sliced potatoes and pumpkin and corn thins and decafed iced coffees it's it's the way to go yeah yeah i've been yeah just to end on something i guess like i don't think hunger has ever been the major issue for us like or and tara in general was pretty chilled about it but for me like i was still on enough food to feel okay Mm -hmm. like okay in terms of not hungry every minute of the day i would still be thinking about my next meal as soon as i finished the the previous one but it wasn't like i wasn't going crazy over hunger like i would rarely go to bed starving yeah Um, because but that partly because i would i would have make sure i have a lot of food in the evening but for me it was just feeling shitty as a uh, due to body fat yeah um it does get yeah. down to you that can be point. <laughs> on you can be on 500 grams of carbs every day but if you're lean enough you're still going to feel like crap mm-hmm. which is why people still feel like crap during peak week as well because you despite carving up yeah exactly it's uh it's about being at that body composition not just eating you know one day kind yeah. of thing yeah that's the thing but at the same time for me as well it really comes down to the volume of food you know i can I can really trick myself into thinking that I'm eating more calories. It's it's a huge psychological component. So if I can, and I manipulate things through compared to an improvement season, compared to a comp prep, right? So they're generally my volume, cause I just like to eat food, man. Like I like to eat and is that such a crime, right? <laughs> oh, I feel like, um, like Jack Black when I say that, anyone who's ever seen the movie School of Rock, someone asks him, he's like, like uh, he just says he's like I like to eat is that such a crime um but literally so I usually eat high volume improvement season and comp prep because that's just the thing that I love to do but I manipulate what is in my food so for example in the improvement season if I'm having ice cream I'll have a bunch of banana in there because it's higher carbs right but it's very daring of you oh I know (laughs) man 200 grams of banana watch out but if I'm in a comp prep I'll have you know 
150 or 200 grams of strawberries, which is closer to like six grams of carbs, but it's the exact same volume of food. So if I can still trick myself into thinking, all right, cool, I'm still eating a decent amount of food. Wait, you had strawberries in your ice cream yesterday. I know, because they were on sale. I love them. They're the best texture. They're way better than banana. Um, but I had way more flour in my cake. That's the thing. But I change these things around, you know, so that I can, um, if I, even though I'm in comp prep, people look at me and they're like, wow, you're eating so much food. I'm like, I'm kind of just eating a lot of ice, a lot of water, and a hell of a lot of air, you know? <laughs> so it looks like a lot, but it ain't that many calories, man. I can just manipulate it. That's what I generally tend to do. So mm. yeah, it's about having that skill of knowing the energy density of different foods. But yeah, that's what really helps just keep my hunger at bay if I still feel like I'm eating a decent amount. Yeah, that's that. But yeah, that's pretty much a good roundup to that question. I think let's move on to another topic. So this next question says, is there such a thing as a range in maintenance calories? Yeah, so there definitely is. And we got to remember that your body doesn't think like a machine. It doesn't say, okay, I've eaten 2,361 calories today. Therefore, my body will stay at maintenance tomorrow. <laughs> There's always going to be that range. And especially if your energy expenditure is varying day to day, like that's going to require a varying amount of food as well. So yeah, you can get it quite narrow by doing exactly the same thing every day. But for most people, it's going to be uh, quite varying, especially considering, okay, what is the food co composition that you eat and how will that affect like the thermic effect of food? If you have, let's say you have like uh, 50 grams worth of carbohydrates from fiber, because in Australia, fiber counts as part of your carbohydrates versus 20 grams the next day like even that is going to change your maintenance so there's so many factors that'll go into it and because of that there is going to be quite a large range and that's not to like for someone who has a larger energy intake they're going to have a larger variance in their maintenance as well mm -hmm. you for example right mm -hmm. yeah i think that's such a good point to make is that Guys, it's, it's kind of always going to be a mystery. You know, we're never going to know the exact amount of calories down to the calorie, down to the kilojoule, right, of how many we actually require on a day-to-day -day basis to maintain our body perfectly down to, down, down to the exact cell, right? It's always going to be outside of our control, you know, and we'll never know that exact number. But yeah, you can generally get pretty close if you do track your data. But yeah, I was actually listening to this pretty interesting podcast on the James Smith podcast, and he interviewed Lane Norton. And I'm sure a lot of you guys know who Lane Norton is in the fitness industry, but I really liked how he referred to this as a buffer zone. He said, you know, when it comes down to maintenance calories, right, people generally have a buffer zone, like below or above those maintenance calories for where their weight isn't going to shift too much. So for example, let's say on average, you were consuming, yeah, 2000 calories per day, right? But one day you might consume maybe 50 calories less, the next day you might consume 50 calories more. And let's say you consume those from carbohydrates, right? That's what down to like 12 grams of carbohydrates, give or take, 
like your i i would argue that your body is not going to really recognize that yeah. right if if you consume 50 calories less your mo- your it, maybe your body recognizes that hey i have a tiny little bit less energy so maybe you might not do that extra walk to the bathroom to go pee or something or you know you might not get up and find the tv remote or you know i don't know just little things you might not hang up the laundry something that would burn a tiny amount of energy but if you do have that tiny little bit more energy maybe you would be more inclined to move your body in some way shape or form to burn an extra 50 calories but everyone generally has a buffer zone and again I think that that buffer zone would be smaller if you are a smaller individual and you are on a smaller caloric intake. So if you were on like 1500 calories per day, your buffer zone would be a heck of a lot smaller compared to someone who was on like 5,000 calories per day. So that's important to note too. But yeah, again, you just have that buffer zone where your body's gonna be pretty happy maintaining its weight as calories fluctuate. And that's the thing, you know, because energy expenditure fluctuates every single day, depending on what you do and what you eat and how much you sleep, you know, and your recovery rates. And there's so many things that go into it. So you, you never truly know exactly how much you need. So stay in a range. Yeah. That's the best thing for it. And there's no need to obsess over getting a specific number. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's, pretty much it for that question. And I just want to actually just finalize on one thing, you know, so if you are in a a dieting phase, right. And let's, and your coach probably has you in a caloric deficit, probably anywhere between maybe, uh, I'd say two, depending on how harsh you're dieting, maybe 250 down to like 1000 calories below your maintenance level, right? That is a large range, but depending on where you are and you are following, you know, some macronutrients, right? Don't be too worried if you go over by like one or two grams in a certain macronutrient. Like for example, let's say that your carb target was 200 grams per day and you eat 202 grams of carbohydrates. I think that some people get into the mentality of, oh no, I went over my macros, I'm not going to lose weight. You need to remember that two extra grams of carbohydrates Per gram, that's only four calories. Two grams, that's an extra eight calories. And your coach probably has you in a large deficit. Like I said, 250 to maybe 1,000 calories of a deficit. So even if you go slightly, slightly over your macros, you are still in a significant deficit. So don't beat yourself up if you don't hit your numbers to an absolute T on my fitness pal, because you're likely to still reach your goals. Again, it's that buffer zone. That's why a lot of coaches... Uh, you know, give you a range. They say, these are your macronutrient targets, depending on what phase you're in, you know, try to hit these within plus or minus two grams, plus or minus five, plus or minus 10, depending on where you are. But yeah, just don't freak out if it's slightly, slightly over because you're still likely in a deficit. Just mm-hmm. wanted to clarify that because I've had that conversation with a few clients who are very pedantic and I'm like, no, it's okay. We're still on track. <laughs> mm. There's nothing wrong with hitting it hundred percent though. No, there's nothing. <laughs> So this next question says, is there such a thing as too much fiber? If so, can this lead to constipation? Hmm. So this is an interesting question. I guess there are a lot of caveats to this, but I guess we could just say right off the bat, the fiber recommendations. So generally for females, you want to be consuming at least 25 grams of fiber per day. And then for males, you want to be consuming around 30 grams of fiber per day. And that is based off, you know, the assumption that males generally will be have 
consuming a slightly higher energy intake than females. But those are generally the bare minimums. You know, it's perfectly fine to go over your fiber target. Jack and I both consume quite a significant amount of fiber. You know, like I probably consume upwards of 70 grams per day. Not going to lie. How many, many grams do you think you consume? Uh, much lower than it used to be. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> uh, but, um, maybe about, yeah, 75 to 80, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And it, again, it's about what you are accustomed to, right? So if our guts are used to taking on that much fiber, you know, we're doing it on a consistent basis day after day, week after week, month after month, we're used to that, right? But we definitely don't swing the pendulum and one day we eat 10 grams, the next day we eat 75 grams because mm. That's where you'd run into trouble. So so it's perfectly fine. And if you do have a high fiber diet, generally, as long as you're not just consuming shakes with a bunch of phylum husk or a bunch of konjac noodles, it's generally an indication that you have a pretty damn nutritious diet because we get fiber from foods like plants, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains, legumes, you name it. So it's generally an indication you're getting a pretty good amount of nutrients, but Jack, could too much lead to constipation? Yeah, so it's kind of like too much or too little. So too little fiber can, of course, lead to constipation uh, combined with like not enough fluid as well. And and also consuming too much fiber too quickly will also lead to constipation again, especially if you don't consume enough fluid. So mm-hmm. it's more so if, you're, if you want to increase your fiber intake, don't just start consuming a bottle of phylum husk phylum husk or like oat bran <laughs> or I eat a bunch of those what are those quest bars quest bars yeah I think any they, protein bar yeah really. i think they have a bunch of fiber in them mm. <laughs> but yeah it's going to be slowly tailoring up over time and of course we would usually advocate for consuming your fiber from fruits and vegetables whole grains and using a fiber supplement if you if you really need mm-hmm. to And especially if you are maybe in prep on really low carbohydrates, that might be when a fiber supplement might be useful for you Mm -hmm. if, um, if you're struggling to hit fiber targets. Yeah. But even then I would, I would argue that you shouldn't be struggling to hit fiber targets, even in a prep one carbs should not be that low. And if your carbs are low to keep you satiated, to keep you nourished, you should be getting almost 100%. I would advocate for those carbs from very nutrient rich sources like fruits and vegetables and whole grains and your freaking corn thins and (laughs) yeah that's true yeah um but what you talked about fluid there so why is fluid important when it comes to fiber so fluid will help as you can imagine flush things through also with gastric motility as well which is basically the like pulsing of your test intestines if you want to call it there's things like peristalsis which is basically a form of how your intestines move i guess and that just helps keep things flowing move things along and also of course lubricating everything as well which is also where like fatty acids come into play as well so your dietary fat intake and of course you guys have probably heard of like insoluble and soluble fiber insoluble fiber being something like in broccoli where if you've submerged broccoli in water nothing much is going to happen versus (laughs) something like oats where oats will swell so that's a difference between soluble versus insoluble and of course having enough fluid is important for that soluble fiber to absorb water Mm -hmm. yeah that that soluble fiber it really helps to draw fluid in make those stools more moist and then they say that insoluble fiber is something like broccoli or corn right Mm. like it just helps bulk it up you know yeah both play a part just to move it through Mm. but i guess 
Bottom line is one, reach your fiber targets, keep it consistent, drink enough water, get a variety of different fiber containing foods so you're getting soluble and insoluble fiber. And yeah, just uh, stay relaxed and de-stressed so that you can go to the bathroom too. Drink a black coffee. Yeah, drink a black coffee. (laughs) That's right up there too. (laughs) And we got to remember that fiber is more than just going to the toilet. It's also... Mm -hmm. The adding to the diversity of the microbiome, which is more and more evidence is emerging for this. And so, yeah, I guess to touch on very briefly about the microbiome, it's a accumulation of different microorganisms that are found in the gut that helps with a variety of different factors, such as like immune system and even just uh, endorphin release and feeling good. There's something called the gut-brain axes, which which is how your brain actually links to the gut Mm -hmm. because the gut is actually called the... It it contains the enteric nervous system, which is basically uh, its own nervous system, which is quite unique compared to something, like even compared to the heart or the liver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we have like our central nervous system, right? And then you have your enteric nervous system, which links that gut up to your brain, which mm. is so cool. Yeah. So basically, to we want to try and promote as much diverse, good diversity in the gut as possible. So that'll basically be derived from consuming a variety of fiber types mm-hmm. through different plant sources, really. Yeah. And again, coming back to that, you know, don't just consume phylum husk and uh, konjac noodles because mm. you, you need more diversity than that, man. Yeah. <laughs> even things like... We even fermented foods as well has mm-hmm. become a lot more popular because when things are fermented, they gather different organisms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we're talking about like probiotics there, right? Yeah. Yeah, so probiotics are like the live bacteria, right? So we're thinking about things like sauerkraut, you know, and uh, blue cheese. And <laughs> what, what else can you think of something that has probiotics in it? Like like yogurt, yogurt. Yeah. yeah, yogurt with probiotics too. So it's that live we don't, bacteria. Yeah. We don't mean a lot of people when they hear probiotics, they think of probiotic supplements, which mm-hmm. uh, there's not a huge amount of evidence to support their mm-hmm. use for a normal person. If and if you really want good stuff, it's quite expensive, mm-hmm. and you you can't just go to chemist warehouse and go to like the little blue people in the fridge and the grab. <laughs> There's actual blue people in the fridge. It's like Inner Health Plus or whatever. I think Inner Health Plus. <laughs> or you can't go to Nando's and just buy, you know, your standard stock standard kombucha, right? Because yeah. <laughs> that's the thing again, like these bacteria, right? There, some are the majority of them are sensitive to sunlight too, mm. right? So if and again, if you're buying kombucha, right, and it, if it's like in a clear bottle or something, and you keep it out in the sun while you're drinking it, like those bacteria are probably dead. Like yeah. they ain't alive. Uh, so that's probiotics. It's actually the live bacteria. And then prebiotics are fiber. So we consume fiber, but then it goes into our large intestine and it's fermented by the bacteria already in our large intestine to ferment and accumulate more strains of bacteria. Yeah. And they know, also produce fatty acids as mm-hmm. well, which have a number of different health benefits as well. Yeah, like butyrate. And uh, yeah, I think we would always be an advocate of prebiotics first. So getting Mm -hmm. a variety of different fiber types from all of your different plants, right? That's a top priority before you go spending your money on probiotic supplements or, you know, just like 
eating sauerkraut with a spoon, you know. Mm. I'm blue cheese is amazing, don't get me wrong. I have it on my eggs most mornings and Jack's like, This stuff stinks and I'm like, It's blue cheese, man, it's delicious. Sometimes I'm sometimes I don't know whether Sam has been inside and done something or it's blue <laughs> cheese, really. Well at least I'm here for <laughs> clarification. So <laughs> Oh, I love stinky cheese. Okay, so this next question, Jack, I'm not sure if it's aimed at you or if it's aimed at both of us, but it says, how come your protein is so high since you're natty and you don't need that much? And need is in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. So my protein at the moment is between 250 to 275 grams a day, which is quite high. And there are a couple reasons for that. One is just because I like eating protein and I like to ensure that I get around 0.44 grams per kilo body weight each meal and the majority of that coming from HBV sources so animal products and second reason why is in, in proportion to my body weight which is around 94 kilos right now it's not like it's not unusually high it's around just under three kilos three grams per kilo of body weight which which is the range we usually function in between two to three grams per kilo of body weight and the third reason is because my carbohydrates range from like 600 to 750 each day and therefore a lot of the protein that i consume is from the whole grain carbohydrates mm -hmm. and i want to ensure that i get a lot from hbv sources yeah exactly and that's the thing so for where you are right now you know that's with protein there's so many different ranges right they say that if you're at energy maintenance generally you can consume probably between 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day but then yeah you do need to factor in that you want to be getting protein from hbv protein sources generally at least four to six times per day you want to be consuming somewhere between 0.4 to 0.55 grams per kilogram of body weight per meal of that protein source which generally it happens between to be between 20 to 30 grams of protein from an animal source to hit that leucine threshold mm. of two to three it's grams. Not, it's, there's it's so many numbers, person, right? Though. Yeah. There's... Like for me, even on the end of that spectrum, mm -hmm. it's more so like just under 40. Yeah. Yeah. Or and about I, 40. And I'm totally with you as well. So you're 94 kilograms consuming around 275 grams per day. I'm 64 kilograms and I consume between 180 to 200 grams per day. And mm. so you consume even more than me per kilo of body weight. Yeah, probably. I might, most days I'm probably over three grams per kilogram, but yeah, it comes down to, I love protein containing foods right and also i try to get an hbv protein source in each one of my meals at those four meals but i do consume a hell of a lot of grains as well and you know sometimes it comes down to just what i want to eat you know like for example i might want to have a can of beans or a can of chickpeas with my dinner and that does have a decent amount of protein in it but i'm like i don't really care man like it all comes down to energy balance. I want to eat this food because it's nutritious, you know, and who cares if it has an extra few grams of protein in it? Like it's certainly not going to be detrimental for me. So that's the thing. Yeah. So I think, yeah, especially considering both of our carbs are quite high, it would be different if like I was on 300 grams of carbs and I was giving myself almost as much protein as carbs, <laughs> then I would give myself more carbohydrates. And also 
I don't see any drawbacks of having that much protein. If anything, it's just positive. Like we know if you're healthy, don't have any existing kidney damage or any family related disease, then it's perfectly safe. And also we know how important protein is for recovery and muscle gain. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's no issues in my book with it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's allowing us to get more diversity into our diets too, which is great. Um, But another thing I was thinking as well is that because of the carbohydrate amounts that you and I are both on, like we're both consuming probably between six to seven grams per kilogram of body weight per day of carbohydrates, which is toward the higher end, especially for people who are just doing resistance training and not a bunch of endurance cardiovascular work, right? So we are toward that higher end of carbohydrates. And I would argue that, sure, I could bring my protein down, right? And I could allocate a few more of those calories to carbohydrates, but I genuinely don't know if that would add added benefit to my training Mm. sessions. Cause I feel like you and I are already consuming so many carbs. I feel like our glycogen stores are probably closing on the brim, right? Our training sessions are good. We're not feeling fatigued at all. So well, I I am, but you're you're tired. I'm tired as in I I know when I'm trained. I'm not like Oh yeah, but I mean like we're not like we're not glycogen depleted or something. No. And we're not craving carbohydrates because we're eating a lot of them. So I would argue that I think it's a, we're at that point where we're consuming enough carbs that if we just want extra calories and our fats are already where we're happy for them to be, what's the harm in having a little bit more protein? Yeah. So I guess that's that. And to answer this second part of the question, it's pretty much asking you know, you're a natural athlete, why do you need that much protein? Which is pretty much inferring that if you are an athlete who's taking performance enhancing drugs, you actually require more protein than a natural. And Broderick Chavez, he has pretty much debunked this, you know, and that's actually not true. And the reason behind that is because athletes who take performance enhancing drugs and they're exogenously supplementing with things, you know, these drugs and these compounds, they actually make them less catabolic, you know, and they actually cause them to ramp up muscle protein synthesis. So for example, let's say that an athlete is exogenously supplementing with insulin, right? We know that insulin is a anti-catabolic hormone, right? And it promotes anabolism. When you take insulin, it promotes, you know, glucose uptake and amino acid uptake and fatty acid uptake into our cells and it helps to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So if you were supplementing with insulin, right, you are actually in an anti-catabolic state. So an enhanced, and same thing goes for compounds like testosterone, right? It makes you less catabolic and more anabolic, right? Anabolic steroids. But the thing is with this is that it's all relative to body weight too. So for example, let's say that you have a natural athlete, right? And they weigh 80 kilograms and uh, they would probably be recommended that they are consuming between uh, two to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight per day of protein, right? Because But if you had a enhanced athlete who was 80 kilograms, they would probably only require closer to that two gram of protein per kilogram of body weight per day. But then again, sometimes 
because enhanced athletes, they're bigger people, right? You have some of these bodybuilders who weigh well over 100 kilograms, 120 kilograms, right? If you had a 120 kilogram guy, right, consuming protein, even if it's less per kilogram of body weight per day, the total amount of protein is probably going to be more than the 80 kilogram guy, if mm. that makes sense. But also it's just, it's just in the fitness industry, you know, that more equals better, you know, and bodybuilders need to consume an enormous amount of protein when that isn't generally true. You know, as long as you hit your threshold, anything yeah. above that won't cause extra muscle mass gain. We listened to that episode on the Joe Rogan podcast with Ronnie Coleman, and he was saying that he ate like a pound of chicken each meal or something. Yeah. And like what, and six ate, meals a day yeah. or gosh, six pounds of chicken. That's almost three kilograms of chicken. That's more, dude, I buy one kilogram of chicken breast for a week. Mm. This dude's eating it three times a day. <laughs> but again, Ronnie Coleman and I are very different people. I don't know. <laughs> no, but that's hopefully that does bust that myth that if you're taking performance enhancing drugs, you actually don't require as much protein because you're supplementing with other things. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that answers your question. So that was the last question we'll be answering on the episode today. But as per usual, we'll be finishing with something that we learned this week. So I'll let Tierra kick this one off. So what I learned this week, so I actually learned this from one of my clients and I thought it was pretty damn clever. So as we know, you know, people are back in the gym now, right? But because of COVID-19, there's still quite a few restrictions. And a few of the gyms that my clients attend, they've been pretty damn strict with like hygiene protocols and they don't want people sharing a lot of stuff. So there's been gyms that have like removed all the yoga mats or in particular, they've removed all of the hip thrust pads. And some of my clients can't do hip thrusts in their gym. But one of my clients, I think that she's really, really clever. I have to give her a shout out, Jess. Uh, what she actually did, and I've never thought of this, she actually bought a thick pool noodle right mm. and we know how cheap pool noodles are right you go to swim mart or swim art or whatever you go to the pool shop and you buy like a one or two dollar pool noodle right obviously it's really long it's probably the same length of a barbell but you just cut that thing and voila you have a hip thrust pad so but isn't it how do you fit the bar in the pool noodle you slice it you know oh, you just it's a hollow pool yeah noodle. so you just you just cut it so i thought that was so cool i'm like jess you are a genius you've hacked the system and like again even if and it's colorful as well exactly man and they're so cheap you could like depending on how many times you hip thrust per week you could use a different color for each session you know you're like this is my heavy hip thrust day this is my light hip thrust day this is my pr hip thrust day whatever but i thought yeah every session's a pr every session every set's a pr man um but the thing is yeah i thought that was really clever and especially considering that hip thrust pads are pretty expensive right who knows? People might get on the pool noodle train. If you can get a good quality pool noodle, like I know there's some that are flimsy. Not the crappy pool noodle. <laughs> no, I'm talking about, you know, like some are poor quality, you know, and you touch them and the they- Poor quality they, styrofoam. And yeah. they frail. They'll be way too thin. You'll probably just, you'll go to hip thrust, get plenty of bruises, like, ouch, get a thick one. But yeah, I thought that was cool using a pool noodle as a hip thrust pad. So get on it. Yep. So Jack, what did you learn this week? So I know this is going to be something that you didn't know either. Ooh, <laughs> educate me, bro. <laughs> but I saw in, uh, somewhere yesterday that apparently all the cross walk, walking things in Brisbane have been automated. You don't have to press them anymore. 
Jack, I already knew that. Oh, damn. <laughs> it's been like that for months. They did that at the beginning of COVID-19 yeah, in the I didn't city. Know that. Oh, man. Well, I guess we don't go to the city very often. But, yeah, I read that on the news. Because, like, that's the thing. If you've got at Queen Street, right, plenty of people crossing every minute. Everyone's, like, touching the button. Like, come on, I got to go. Mm. Yeah, they automated them. All right. You didn't tell me, though. No, I probably did. But who knows? But anything else? that's it for today all right okay okay guys so i guess that's the end of this episode yeah thanks for listening guys again if you enjoyed it please remember to repost it on your instagram stories tag myself tag tiara tag tbd and we'll see you guys next week see you guys